As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined, as ever, by my dad, John Wyatt. How are you, John? Hello, yeah. Looking forward to the conversation. And excitingly today, we've got a third person to join to the discussion. Uh, we've got Dr. Sarah Foote. Um, Sarah, we're really delighted to have you joining the podcast. Could you um, introduce yourself a little bit and, and explain uh, what you do when you're not recording podcasts? Um, hi, Tim uh, and John. Thanks for having me on. So um, I'm a palliative medicine doctor. Um, so I'm a, a qualified doctor and um, I am working in the east of England training to be a palliative care consultant so I rotate around different hospitals and hospices uh, doing palliative care looking after people uh, as they come towards the end of their life currently working in uh, an acute hospital in Essex. And Sarah you were telling us just before we came online that it, um, you, you've been absolutely in the midst of, of caring for patients uh, today you're actually in the hospital at the moment uh, what, what's your day been like to, so far what have you been up to? Oh, um, so we always begin uh, today the day with a MDT meeting on a Wednesday where we just update uh, amongst MDT. The... What's what's that? Oh, mean? So... <laughs> thanks, John. Um, so it's a multidisciplinary team meeting. So uh, for us, that means um, meetings between nurses and doctors. Uh, often, members of the chaplaincy team and the counselling team all come together to discuss the patients that are in the hospital um, and patients that are in our local hospice because we're all one big team even though we're in slightly different geographical locations just to update each other Um, so we did that and then I saw the patients in the ward and then it's just sorting out jobs um, for the patients things like liaising with oncology teams so cancer teams um, helping get patients uh, get procedures done get patients home um, sorting out changing their medications that sort of thing. Could we just take a brief step back? Because I mean, I'd love to hear, dig into a bit more about what your day-to-day job is like, but some people listening might not have never heard the word palliative care. Could you give us a kind of brief elevator pitch about what is palliative care? Yeah, so palliative care is uh, caring for patients who have a diagnosis um, which will be the the kind of illness that could potentially end their life so uh, cancer is a really common one um, and it's and it was traditionally uh, where lots of palliative care can happen but actually we care for any uh, any patient who um, has an illness that um, may end their life so um, patients with lung disease or heart disease um, some patients with uh, dementia and any of anything that um, you know you're in 
you're unwell um, and we can come in at any point. I think often people think palliative means um, hospice or that means uh, the very end. Um, actually, we like to do um, a lot of parallel care, which is where you might have a a specialist team looking after you, for example, the cardiologists look after heart disease, um, but we come in as well to help manage um, your your kind of other needs, uh, things like managing your symptoms or planning for the future. So that's, so you might, I think a lot of people imagine that you switch to palliative care once you've abandoned efforts to, to cure the illness, but that's actually not the case necessarily. Yeah, definitely not. Um, it's, one of the challenges of working in palliative medicine is uh, people think once everyone else has failed then we go down the palliative route and that can be our, our colleagues can sometimes think that they think that patients should only come to us when they have um, that when they can't do any more from their end um, that's that's really changing it's one of the exciting things about palliative medicine is that uh, we do things like joint clinics um, and um, early referrals where once someone's got a certain diagnosis we we get start getting involved early and, and sometimes early involvement is just saying hello when things aren't you know when you don't need us but at least you said hello rather than when you you do need us we're a friendly face then someone you recognize so why on earth would you choose to go into this branch of medicine i mean when you think of all the other things you could be doing the more positive and more encouraging people getting better and saving lives why on earth would you choose to go into a branch of medicine where you know that pretty well everyone's going to die do you know, I think the first time I told my husband I wanted, who's not a doctor, I want to do palliative medicine, that was exactly what he said was, why would you do that? And uh, it's a good question. I think people think it's really depressing uh, because ultimately everyone dies. But actually, um, there's a few things about it I really love. So um, firstly, I think when you're coming towards the end of your life, you potentially could be quite vulnerable. Um, you've got really hard decisions to make. You're often quite unwell. So making big decisions is actually really difficult. Um, as a patient, for doctors and nurses, it, things can be quite complicated and and, and like healthcare professionals can feel quite lost. Um, and so as a palliative care physician, you can really advocate for patients at the end of their life. You can you know, really... Um, stand up for what's important for them, um, whether it's getting out of hospital or attending an event or sorting out a certain symptom above other things. Um, so I think that's that's really a, a really great part of it. Um, I'm, and I've already talked about the MDT or the multidisciplinary team meeting. Um, some branches of medicine, you only really talk to other doctors um, most of the time. Well, we all sort of think the same. And actually one of the interesting parts of palliative is you get to work with um, nurses and counsellors, um, therapists, so like physiotherapists, occupational therapists, you all have to come together um, and really work together as a team because it's not just about fixing the one physical, you know, problem this patient has, it's about um, helping the patient work out what's the most important thing for them and, and working out what you can do as a team. Um, and that's, and I think that leads on to the, the, the real best bit about palliative is um, I'm not just there to fix your broken leg or, um, you know, uh, cure your infection. Um, so I'm not just like, oh, this patient's got a chest infection, here are the antibiotics. It's You really get to find out much more about um, who you're looking after because it's so crucial. Um, you know, if you're a patient who's got a big family and a big house and lots of support and you're feeling very happy at home and actually you want to spend time at home and that's really important to you, that's something I need to know about. Um, or I need to know that if the thing that you want more than anything is to see your dog, 
I need to know about that. Or, you know, if you're trying to sell your business because you've had this diagnosis and that's really weighing you down because you're stuck in hospital with rubbish internet and no phone signal. You know, these are the things that matter to our patients. And I, I love that aspect of palliative care. It's much more holistic um, in that we get to know the whole patient. Yeah. And what about the, the spiritual aspects? Because I, I know that that's also quite a, a big deal, isn't it, in, in, in palliative care? Perhaps surprisingly, you know, people would think that medicine really shouldn't be very interested in, in spiritual things or in religion. But what's your experience of that? Yeah, actually, it's one of the other great things as a Christian um, that you come to palliative care and it's uh, one of the areas of medicine where we're really encouraged to talk about it. So um, the NHS can feel quite secular at times if you're a Christian. Um, we've got to be really careful not to um, upset patients um, you know we've in a secular organization it's important and um, patients are in a really vulnerable position um so if we're talking about faith it needs to be the right time for the patient and in the right way um, and that is the same that's the true in palliative medicine but actually we're actively encouraged to find those right times um, and right places because it's it's important for patients if they've got um spiritual needs um if they are hoping that their own um uh, say pastor can come in uh, or imam then we need to be helping them sort that out and and, and um, sorting that if people have got needs around death um, in terms of um, seeing uh, someone from their religion just before they die um, or having someone come just after death or or sorting things out um, so for example um, in islam um, patients need to be buried quite swiftly so um, helping patients get all that planning in place um, is really important so actually we're we're encouraged to be talking to our patients about this so that we know and we do that in a, um, a gentle fashion some patients when you ask them if they have spiritual needs will just say well I'd like a pint of Guinness does that count and I'm like yes that counts that's what's important to you and other people go oh I can have someone come and pray with me and, and they don't know that we have a, a hospital chaplaincy team and that's really easy for us to you know refer to the chaplaincy team to come and um, spend some time with the patient and chaplaincy love that that's what they're here for. And do you not ever feel like I didn't sign up for this I was trained in the body not in the spirit and I should just pass off all these these weird kooky requests to the to the trained kind of religious professional in the chaplain? Oh, I don't think I've. Uh, it's a good, good question because I don't think I've ever thought that. Maybe, um, maybe it's because I'm Christian and I I know that for me personally, um, my faith will will be really important as I come to the end of my life. Um, uh, you know, I I um, my father-in-law is a vicar and I know he's done last communion with family members and they've really really valued that um and I know when he goes to visit parishioners and just having someone pray with you as you come to the end of your life is just so so valuable and I I'm really happy if a patient is Christian and says they want someone to pray with them um I will often at that point offer up and say, well, actually, I'm Christian. Would you like me to pray with you? And, and that's particularly if I have concern about the chaplaincy team getting there in time or just because I've got a good rapport with patients. Sometimes it's nice you know, for someone they know rather than for someone random to turn up and pray. Um, I no, I don't think I don't think I do see it as, as kooky or strange. I think it's because I all I care about is what's important to the patient. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I'm fairly open-minded. I'm I'm racking my brains. I'm sure I've been asked things that I thought maybe was a bit strange, but if that's what's important to them, that's what's important to them. So it's important to me. And what's your experience overall? Do you find it, I mean, there must be an aspect of watching people die 
and being involved, you know, with grieving relatives and um, which must be quite stressful and, 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 and heavy to carry, as well as the good aspects. What, what do you find the most difficult part of your job? I think I've been reflecting on this recently, actually. Um, and I think the the difficulty actually comes when the planning isn't in place, the relationship's not there. Um, and that happens often in a slightly more acute setting. Um, as well as doing palliative medicine, I, I do have to still do um, what we call general internal medicine or acute medicine. Um, and actually, I bring to acute medicine, the uh, my palliative skills and, and almost on any, um, so as an acute medicine doctor, we see the new patients coming into hospital. They come in, they see A&E, and if you're an adult, you don't need surgery, but you're coming into hospital, you're probably coming in under what we call like acute medicine. And lots of patients, will, uh, on at least every shift I do doing that, there'll be a patient coming in who is very unwell and is likely to die in quite a short time. And trying to, um, build rapport and um, have difficult conversations um, and then do the best thing for the patient in what is, can be quite constrained circumstances you know in an A&E department um, on a shift where I know I'm never going to see this patient again um, and I'm trying to put plans in place for a night shift I think those are the ones um, that stick with me because I um, it's the confidence of knowing that I've helped the patient as well as I can um, or just knowing that things sometimes life is just really really hard and awful and some people have um, suddenly become ill completely unexpectedly um, or sometimes people have been ill and they've they've known they're ill but then things take a real sudden turn um, and and things like when patients can't say goodbye to relatives um, or re and relatives don't get in in time um, or if they have um, symptoms as, as they die if they're in, in you know if it's all very sudden I think that that's when it's really hard um, as a doctor mm. and inevitably you know in my own clinical experience over the years you do see some absolutely appalling terrible things don't you and and and, and trying to find a way psychologically and, and spiritually to cope with that is, is at times difficult I mean what's your own experience of, of when you feel that you're personally taking the toll I often um you sort of drive home and um you think about this often often it will be more than one patient you know you seem to have a run of um patients dying and it just seems so overwhelming how overwhelmingly um, difficult life can be and you know you'll meet perhaps people who are young or people who've had other things go wrong or people who've had multiple bereavements um, and a real sense of crying out to God you know um, just it's okay to just be like why why mm. is this mm. and you know I know we live in a fallen world um, but uh, um sometimes you can't see any you know there's no there's no obvious good in a situation um and um and also being thankful to god i find really helpful actually to um thank god for um just his generous grace and and goodness and um and trusting and having a real trust in god's judgment in god's love for us all um i sometimes i wonder how my colleagues who don't have a faith um uh manage the burden of of seeing um 
illness and death um, and not having a sense that there is a God in control of it all and a God that who, who really loves us. Mm, um, yeah. I, I mean, people do, you know, we have coping in terms of um, counselling sessions, um, in terms of, you know, uh, people do things like mindfulness, making sure that you're making time for yourself. But um, that overwhelming sense of just knowing that God has got this um, is a real comfort. to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Is there a kind of Christian ethos that lies behind some of the philosophy of palliative care? Because it seems slightly distinct from perhaps, as you say, the more secular kind of humanistic, materialistic ethos that runs through kind of general uh, medicine. Yeah, so... Palliative is quite a new specialty um, in the world of medicine. New is about 60 years old, um, but we're, we're still quite a new specialty. And actually it was founded by a Christian um, lady, uh, Cicely Saunders. And um, she sort of came up with the idea of having a hospice somewhere where we would care for people. And she's got um, a great quote, which I'll, I'll say now, which um, I think really sums it up so uh, she this quote is you matter because you are you and you matter to the end of your life we will do all we can not only to help you die peacefully but also to live until you die and I I think it really sums up palliative where it's all about um, loving the patient and um, and loving them for for just existing for just being a person Um, and that's quite distinct from I, I, I mean, you know, medicine is all about caring for people um, and it's about, it's generally about fixing things though and we can't fix dying, but we can come alongside you. Uh, and again, I think that's a really uh, a Christian view is where we, you know, we're travelling this journey together um, and we aren't in control of it. And I think our current society, control is a really important thing for people. It's something people really value um, and we can't, control everything as a doctor I want to control it I'm always disappointed if I can't fix symptoms but what I can do is travel the journey with you and I think one of uh, Cicely Saunders great conviction was that those last few hours days weeks of someone's life could actually be profoundly significant and, and rich and important um, it wasn't all just doom and gloom I mean that that's really isn't it that's that's why this quote to live until you die I mean, how, how, have you seen that personally in 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 your own experience? I mean, um, away from my professional time, uh, when my uh, husband's granddad was dying, um, my husband and I went to visit him. Um, what turned out to be in the last twelve hours of his life, and and we went to visit him in hospital. Um, and he and he was a Christian with faith, and I asked him if he wanted us to pray together, and he could just about say yes. Um, and it was something like my husband is 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 Christian as well, and I think it's just something I needed to initiate because it was something I was more used to. I was more used to being in a room with someone who was so unwell, and we prayed together. And I remember the door opening and not really paying much attention, um, but actually it was another member of the family coming in who then prayed with us, and I didn't. I didn't really think much of it, but actually that was a member of family who has potentially um, 
moved a little bit away from God in their relationship. Um, but there was something about that moment, that that's precious moment where we all prayed together. And that was a really important thing for the family to know that actually my husband's granddad did get a chance to, to pray with one of his sons, you know, right, right coming towards the end of his life. Um, and then again, in, in our family, um, uh, elderly relatives with dementia, um, dementia is a hard diagnosis you really you you know you lose control of who you are um it's it's scary for the patient it's scary for relatives um but again you actually um we've had really profound changes in relationships where um relationships have been formed and um nurtured and um reborn during during that time and uh certainly for me coming into my husband's family when we got married his grandmother couldn't attend our wedding because she was too unwell and we did um she was in a nursing home with a little um area where we could kind of do a, a ceremony and we went and did that the week after we got married and it was really really special and she was absolutely delighted and we've got a wonderful photo of her from that day and it's just a really precious memory um mm. that we have that we wouldn't have had otherwise um it's not all it's not always like that but there is um still really good quality time and actually patients often say that to me it's one of my i really want when i'm advocating for patients one of the things i want to do is be honest with them that i think time could be short that they they are dying because as doctors people often doctors often don't want to tell patients that no one wants to tell someone they're dying but if we withhold that information if we don't own it and say actually we do think this patient's going to die even though we're telling them we're trying to cure something for example um we take away their opportunity to have that um time with their family and um i've had patients say or relatives say to me thank you so much because we had a week together we had you thought he was going to die within a week or two and he did and we had a precious week of just wonderful time together and mm. I, th I think that it certainly is my experience too that you know the the quality and the richness of time is nothing to do with the duration with how many days weeks months it's you know that just some short period minutes hours days can be so significant and particularly you know for those who remain I, I think that my experience often isn't it that it's it's the relatives you know because we ha we have to live we've watched this person this loved one die but now we have to live with what happened over those last few hours and days and 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 to be able to live with memories that yes wasn't that an amazing time we had together is, is really significant yeah, it's something that I see as part of our holistic care is you as the patient are going to care about how your family are. And so I need to care about how your family are. Um, obviously, my patient's most important, but it really matters to me that we, particularly in these COVID times, um, visiting is often very restricted um, and recognising that someone is dying is really important to allow um, more visitors to be able to come in. Um, and it's certainly one of the things that really troubles me is if we miss that, if if we don't get and we do, we get it wrong because death is really unpredictable. Mm. Um, and sometimes we don't do that. And I'm really broken for the relatives who I know haven't had a chance to say goodbye. And that was obviously something that was particularly painful for people during the worst of the COVID pandemic we've been gone through here is that, well, certainly in the UK, most hospitals kind of barred all visiting and so there were lots and lots of people who sadly did die without any family members able to, 
to let alone a, a chaplain or someone able to come in and be by their bedside i think there will be a real epidemic of um bereavement within our country and, and around the world because of the huge numbers but also because of that because people weren't there they couldn't see how their relative was um and they couldn't be with them and they couldn't just being with them is so important um it's it's absolutely heartbreaking and um something i hope we can perhaps prepare better for in future because we obviously have to keep people safe and social distancing is really important um and i i don't envy policymakers who made these decisions but also i saw so many people who didn't get to say goodbye and it's just heartbreaking it's and 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 not even just goodbye but just that good time together those last laughs those last memories um and knowing that they're they, people want to be able to care they want to be able to be by the bedside and make sure that their relative is you know well hydrated that their lips are um not dry that they're not in pain and they they all miss that and i um it's heartbreaking and um I don't know how that's going to pan out. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I suspect that is going to be one of the long-lasting um, effects of the pandemic, um, not not the physical uh, effects of long COVID and all that, but actually the those psychological scars um, and what psychologists call a complicated grief. You know, there's the grief of, of losing a loved one, but then there's all this complication of the fact that I couldn't be there and I missed out, you know, and I feel a failure and she died alone and all those kind of feelings um, to be worked through. Yeah, and then often um, uh, relatives will blame themselves, not rightly, um, for, ha- you know, did they catch COVID because I was getting the food shopping and bringing it to them, you know, because often people would have COVID you know multiple members of family at the same time and it is it's all just as you say um complex and and um i I, we 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 will see the effects of that for years to come one of the things that really fascinates me to slightly move the conversation on is is you mentioned that palliative care is quite a a modern phenomenon at least in the terms of the history of medicine um how, how kind of widespread or well integrated is it into the rest of the NHS, at least the healthcare system we have here in the UK, is it is it does every patient who wants it do they have access to it, or is it more patchy? No, I think it's fair to say it's more patchy. So um, I think because we traditionally have been quite cancer focused, um, we still see predominantly cancer patients. Um, so we often have very good links with cancer services. Um, we are increasing links with um, uh, services where uh, it's you know like kidney doctors or renal services or, or cardiologists um, lung doctors um, but also we struggle to get to um, groups of patients that are harder to reach so um, patients that perhaps have um, substance misuse um, or uh, substance addiction or who might not have a permanent home um, or patients that um, anyone who's dying in a kind of non-standard way um, we are not getting to them well enough yet and it's definitely changing and it's definitely improving um, there's some really exciting projects reaching out to um, patients in um, homeless shelters um, there's lots of clinics like I said clinics being set up um, with uh, patients who are um, have say um, lung disease or, or kidney problems um, and it's certainly within the hospital setting it's still 
we need more of us. There's uh, there's there's um, not enough uh, doctors and nurses within the hospital, so um, our colleagues don't fully understand what we can do. So don't always refer at the right time. Um, we're quite a small specialty, so for example, in my current hospital, there is only one consultant um, and me as the registrar. So that's it. There's only two doctors doing my um, specialty here in this hospital, so we don't see. Uh, enough of our colleagues to help them understand when they should be referring um, and then hospices are uh, generally in the charitable sector sector so um, it's quite a bizarre system if you thought about uh, say giving birth in this country you'd never dream you needed to go to a charity charity like run organization to give birth you just go to a hospital um, but for some re well for, for good reasons traditionally um, the charity sector has picked up as the hospices but that means it's quite patchy because it is you know where someone has thought to build a hospice and then there's a charity to help run it um and that means that it's not being kind of commissioned and fairly laid out yeah i think it's really one of the bizarre things about the uk system is that palliative medicine and palliative care is in this rather cinderella type subject and actually there's a there's a kind of tragic comic uh, aspect to all this and that is that the NHS allocates funding um, in, a, in a very sort of rigorous uh, utilitarian way which is based on something called qualies which stand for quality adjusted life years so what you do is you calculate how many life years your treatment is going to buy um, and then the more life years your treatment buys, the more m money will go into that area of, 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 of care. And of course, the thing about palliative care is that, the, is that it's very expensive, and yet people only live for, for days or weeks or months. So in other words, it doesn't buy any life years at all. So the whole basis on which um, funding within the NHS is directed just doesn't work for palliative care. It has to be commissioned in a completely different way and I think that is part of the reason why it, it, it is massively underfunded yeah the putting the uh, we're just not financially it doesn't make any sense it is all about what is actually important to people and it is important to care for you whilst you're still alive we need to care for you uh, and we have to advocate for that do you think it there's positives in having charities I imagine many of them still quite Christian in origin at least you know, it feels like most hospices are called Saint something or other, kind of betraying their Christian origins. Do you think that's really a, a good thing to have, to kind of undergird the Christian origins of palliative care? Yeah, I think I think there's probably positives and negatives. Um, it's just as with uh, primary schools, people often associate um, uh, Christian care with being a good thing, that they know someone is, is just going to care for them because that's what they do, because they're Christian. Um, I think it, and actually the reality is, is whilst lots of hospices were originally um, Christian in foundation, um, people of all faiths and none work in them now. And again, they will always have access to chaplaincy um, support, but they, you know, if you, if you don't have a faith, you're still very welcome. And actually that can be uh, something that can put people off. So I've worked in an area um, before I went into palliative medicine, but I worked in general medicine in an area where uh, it was quite a small Christian population and a the hospice was a Saint something. Uh, and that used to really put off uh, our patients um, of some, some of our patients were, were just really put off by it. Um, and trying to explain that barrier to, to explain it's just, it is a name. Um, yes, traditionally, 
the hospice was run by nuns but actually now there's you, you don't need to have any faith it's not going to be pushed on you we are just there to care for you can be really really challenging particularly actually again as a as a specialty um you know you can be sort of a white doctor in the middle of an area where you just you don't look like any of the patients um and trying to speak the same language um and I don't just mean kind of language, but just being, you know, being able to explain things and them trust you can be a real challenge. So um, I, I love it. I love that Christians went, you know, we need to sort this out. End of life care. We need to set something up. I also want all my patients to have access to end of life care. And I'm always really sad if people don't trust the sort of name hospice. Well, this has um, been a really fascinating discussion. I'm really grateful, Sarah. We're looking forward to uh, to part two where we're going to pick up, up pick this up again and talk a bit more about how palliative care might fare in a world where euthanasia and assisted suicide are becoming uh, a closer and closer reality in many parts of the world and maybe here in the UK too. Um, but for now, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, as always, if you'd like to find out some more resources or things to read and listen to there's lots of good stuff on on john's website that can be found at www.johnwyatt.com um uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us to ask a question or to respond to something you've heard or suggest something you think would be good for us to talk about uh you can email molad m-o-l-a-d at premier.org.uk um you can find uh some of my journalism tswyatt.com um, and otherwise we look forward to uh, speaking to you next week thanks very much you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.